Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to talk about a really hot topic. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Upon entering the temple, he came to a boil. It may have freaked out his disciples. At least it's stuck in their memory. Looking around, he saw the vendors of sanctified goods and proceeded to whip them out. Such behavior in this holy place was not at all the norm. In fact, the head hogs at the trough, so to speak, were certainly going to come down on this with a heavy hand. Jesus was behaving as an extremist. John 2.17 says, And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of your house has eaten me up. In contrast, listen to the message that's being given to us today. Quote, Extremists are to blame for the bloodshed and terror all over the world. You know, extremists are murdering religious Jews and Christians by the thousands. And... Other extremists are supposedly stirring up hatred against those guys. You know, some of the leaders of this country are chastising the uh, so-called religious right and appealing to the moderate community of other faiths. The whole force of governmental media, even religious voices, are cautioning everyone to avoid the zealous, to embrace the mainstream, to be sane and restrained, if you would. Now, While the logic of this message appeals to our common sense, it also poses the greatest danger the church has seen in centuries. By lumping the extreme, if you would, elements of all endeavors into one pot, Satan seeks to neutralize the message of the only one that really matters, the churches. Jesus himself said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. That's Matthew 10.34. Now, lest you misunderstand, he was not advocating what other religions have done historically, say, converting by the sword. He was not saying that we were to slay the infidels. On the contrary, we are to love the infidels. However, he was making clear that the message of the gospel is radical, and those who will truly live it out are, likewise, radical. They are zealous for God. But much of the church today is sadly at room temperature. You see, today's ministries depend on budgets. Callings are just really jobs. Sermons are designed to entertain. There's no room for zeal from the pulpit. It scares the flock. Or from the flock, it scares the pulpit. And so we've nurtured environments that won't offend in the course of either worship or witness. Consequently, we're not changing the world around us like we used to. More and more, the world is changing us. You may say, "Uh, speak for yourself. Trust me, I do. But to do justice to the issue, let me explain more carefully what zeal is and why the Lord desires it and its fruit. In the Old Testament, zeal is literally the attitude and action spurred by jealousy. This is fascinating because it implies a definition with an intimate relationship. A man or woman can be jealous over their spouse, and it results in perhaps the most intense responses we are capable of as people. 
The New Testament word for zeal, on the other hand, means to be brought to a boil, to be very hot. And of course, this complements the Old Testament concept. God desires us to have zeal for Him because, frankly, it indicates a powerful, passionate relationship with Him. You know, the Laodicean Church of Revelations chapter 3, which to many typifies a church of the last days, is rebuked for being neither hot or cold. That is, it has no zeal or enmity, only a toned-down, affluent body of people who have learned to fit in. By contrast, God is zealous. We can see Isaiah 9, 37-32, Ezekiel 5, 13. Also, Jesus is zealous. See John 2.17. The early church was zealous. See 2 Corinthians 7.11, 9.2. And Christ tells the Laodiceans to, quote, be zealous, therefore, and repent. It's in Revelation 3.19. So, what intense response are we to have for our God? Does he want us to nuke someplace or wear angry Christian t-shirts? No. Paul wrote, quote, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. That's Galatians 4.18. And that Christ, quote, gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's Titus 2.14. He also spoke of the Jews that, quote, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10.2, and of himself that, quote, concerning zeal, before his conversion, he was persecuting the church, Philippians 3.6. So clearly, zeal can be right or wrong in its motive and outcome. The zeal God wants is rooted in a passionate love for him and in the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. Apart from this, zeal is misdirected and tragic. But without zeal, Christianity is dead, lifeless at room temperature. God asks us, how zealously do you love me and your family and Christ? How zealous are you to do good, even when good is reviled and you're persecuted for it? How zealously forgiving are you, knowing that you are forgiven much more? How zealous are you to give what you cannot keep? to gain what you cannot lose. How zealously trusting are you of me in the midst of hot times? You see, God makes his, quote, ministers a flame of fire. That's Psalms 104.4. They are red hot, zealous of their relationship with him. Christ was as zealous on the cross when he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As he was when he drove the merchants out of the temple. He was zealous when he said, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. As well as when he said, Whoever among you who forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. The zealotry God looks for in our lives is not wide-eyed, out-of-control fanaticism fueled by unrighteous indignation. His zeal is the real deal, pardon the play on words, and it's blatantly obvious to the world around. To the rebellious, it's frightening. To the child of God, both lost and found, it's awesomely appealing. It's not worked up by some holy cheerleader 
It's manifested by a heart that's entirely wrapped up in God. I'm reminded of a man who knocked on my front door one morning. Upon answering it, we found him meekly poised, asking to come in and to speak with us. At first, I didn't recognize him, but he quickly explained that he resided just a few doors down the street, and I said, Oh, of course, come in. You know, I should have been here sooner, he says, but, well, let me explain. His demeanor made it clear that whatever he had to say was terribly important. As a consequence, we listened somewhat apprehensive. You see, about nine months ago, he said, we moved in down the street. I'd gotten a great job with a sporting goods company, and my wife and two daughters were excited about being here. But after only a few months, we found out that his wife was terminally ill with cancer. Only in a couple of months, she died. As you can imagine, I was devastated, but even more so were my daughters. The older one became so bitter and rebellious that she got involved with a gang and started using drugs and, well, anyway, the younger one just recoiled. She isolated herself and became the brunt of every cruel joke at school. She seemed to hate herself more and more, and, and I retreated to my work. It became my hiding place from grief. I had no faith to speak of, but only a broken... No, a shattered heart that I felt I had to protect. Well, I didn't see it coming. One day I came home. I found my older daughter with a man much older than her. When I surprised them at my entry, she just erupted at me and they left the house in haste. Later she called and said that she was going to marry this guy, whether I liked it or not, and, well, goodbye. I freaked. She was so young. I was making such a huge mistake... I knew she had been distraught, but I never expected this. A few days later, she went to the police and claimed that I had sexually abused her. Of course, this was completely unfounded, and I later found out that her new acquaintance had put her up to it. Anyway, the authorities believed her, took away my other little girl to protect her, Shortly afterward, the local newspaper printed the story such that I've looked very guilty. I remember that, I said. That was you? Yeah, but it didn't stop there. In a couple of days, I was let go from my job because the company didn't want the bad publicity. Then, after I spent all that I had in a legal dispute over the girls, I fell behind on the mortgage, and the bank gave notice of foreclosure. Wow! Just snowballed, huh? Yeah. But then this guy who had taken my older daughter came back to the house while I was out. He must have had her key. Well, I came in and found him literally destroying the place with a pickaxe. He chopped up the furniture, the walls, the TV, even the last pictures I had of my wife and kids. I honestly couldn't believe my eyes. He threatened me with the axe and laughed hideously. He mocked that my daughter was now his and that if I knew it was good for her, I'd vacate the house immediately. I later found out he wanted to use it as a place to make and sell drugs. Then he left, breaking several more windows on the way. Well, my mouth was agape listening to this incredible tale. He continued, so I'd lost it all. 
my dear wife, my daughters, my job, my house, even the last mementos of happier times. I was broke, and really broken. I had nowhere to turn, no friends, no family, so I I pawned some stuff and bought a pistol. I drove out of town, headed north, and pulled over to the side of the road to just end it. I took the gun and pointed it at my head. I was shaking so hard. But then the most miraculous thing happened. In the deepest part of this pit, this dark, dark hole I was in, for some reason, I saw this picture. This picture in my mind that was so vivid, I couldn't shake it. And that's why I'm here now. All I could see was this joyful countenance of your little girl. She was 12 then. You see, she and my younger daughter played together a lot, and she was always sharing with her about Jesus. I mean, it was natural, so natural, and she was obviously so in love with Christ. She just wanted to help my little one, and she really did. But I'd rejected it. At least I thought so. I was so strong and sane, this nonsense, or so I thought. But there in my car, with this gun to my head, I realized I was wrong. Her shining face seemed to say, come home. God loves you and he will help. So I put the gun down, drove back into town. I saw the church, you know, on the north side of town and pulled in. To my relief, the pastor was there, and I sat down and talked with him for a long time. There and then, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and I was born again. I just can't tell you how that changed me. And the next day, the next day, the authorities contacted me and said that my older daughter confessed that her accusation was a lie and that they were returning her, as well as my younger daughter, into my care. Shortly afterward, the paper printed a great article. Then I even got my job back with a raise. My house is still mine, and it's fixed back up. And we're totally in love with Jesus. He's given us new hope and a real faith, more real than anything I see with my eyes. And your little girl's faith? Friend, how thankful I am for that now. Yes, zealous Christians are the only ones who make a difference in this world. They are the real salt and light Jesus spoke of. They bear the fruit of the Spirit in abundance. May we all forsake the rags of timidity, the lies of worldly conformity, and a spiritually tepid lifestyle. While the world is vilifying religious extremism, let's not confuse this with the passionate zeal we need to have for our God. We must be extreme. Extreme in love. Extreme in forgiveness. Extreme in sharing and sacrifice. Extreme in faith and trust. Extreme in the pursuit of our Father's desire. It's this kind of extreme Christianity that's alive. It's not just room temperature. It's truly appealing to God 
for he himself is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12:29. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast. May you realize more of his grace today.